Welcome to the Sports Leadership Podcast, where leaders in sport get practical, relevant insight to help them take their leadership to the next level and become leaders worth following. Now for your hosts, Kevin DeShazo and Mark Hodgkin. All right, friends, welcome back to the Sports Leadership Podcast, episode 37. I'm your co-host, Kevin DeShazo, along with Mark Hodgkin. Hope that you guys are doing well. Mark, how are things in your world? Beautiful day in Florida. Um, you know, just kind of getting used to working out of the house. It's Friday. Uh, been an interesting, busy week, you know, in the college space. A lot of us have been paying quite a bit of attention to the, the NIL announcements that have, that have kind of come out. And obviously that's a, a centerpiece of the conversation we're going to have today with Blake. Uh, so, you know, doing, doing good. How about yourself? Same, you know, just, just making it day by day. And I know that sounds cliche, but that's, that's all you can really do, right? What, what can you do each day to, to get, get some wins, to keep moving forward a little bit. And so that's, that's the goal each day. And so it's, uh, you know, a good season, interesting season, uh, but you're right. Great conversation today with with our our guest Blake Lawrence, the CEO co-founder of Open Doors. Now, if you're in the sports industry, you're probably aware of Blake and, and Open Doors and what they do in terms of um, helping athletes monetize their their brand, helping them monetize their their social media presence. Um, and he's been doing that for for years, and and especially in the in the pro space in terms of monetizing, just building in the college space. Uh, and now with the NIL kind of announcement, obviously that's going to start the monetization piece is going to move to the college industry. And so they are, they are well equipped to, to serve that world. And so I, I just thought it was a really fascinating conversation. We know Blake for a while, um, perfect time to get him on the podcast. And I think it's something that uh, the people really gonna enjoy, not just from the NIL conversation, but from an entrepreneurship mindset, from student athlete experience, um, from a leadership perspective. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about it for a while of wanting to kind of explore the, the, the entrepreneurial side of sports leadership, you know, um, that's a big part of it. And his story is very unique uh, coming out of being a, a prominent student athlete and how that kind of drove a few opportunities early in his career. So but that part of the conversation was really good about how he, um, he kind of seized on some opportunities, built something that's you know, really impressive now and, and the steps of, uh, that he had to take to do that you know, are well worth listening to. All right, so dig into episode 37 with Blake Lawrence from Open Doors, and we will see you guys on the other side. All right, friends, welcome. Uh, excited to bring friend of the pod. I don't know if we've ever said that. I don't know if we have friends of the pod, but we're going to call him that. Excited to have a chat with Blake Lawrence, founder of Open Doors. Blake, welcome to the podcast. I am a friend of the pod. I'm a friend of you too that makes me a friend of the pod. That's right. That's right. You know, excited to have you and hear about your story, hear about the work that you're doing with Open Doors, how that's a significant issue right now or a significant role player um, in the collegiate athletic landscape. Um, but give us, give us your story. What, what is Open Doors, but, but what led to Open Doors? What's your background? Yeah, so Open Doors is an athlete marketing platform. Uh, more than 12,000 athletes around the world use our technology to manage their relationships with content partners and commercial partners. So for an athlete, a content partner is the team they play for, the league they play in. They're in college. It's their, their team or the athletic department or even their college conference that is sending them photos and videos that they can share um, you know, to help them market themselves and uh, their social digital channels. And then on the professional sports side, 
pro athletes use our technology to manage endorsement opportunities, right? So on the commercial partner space, there's the sponsors and brands and advertisers that are using open doors to pay athletes for use of their name, image, and likeness and for promotional activities on their social and digital channels. So there's really two sides to the business. Um, one is, is helping athletes look good. Another one is helping them make money. And we know those are two things athletes uh, all want to do. And that's where we're at today. But I, yeah, I would love to take you back to how the hell we got there. I'm a Kansas City kid. I was uh, fortunate to get recruited all over the country to play linebacker and ended up at Nebraska in the 2007 class and played as a true freshman, started at linebacker as a sophomore and a junior. That junior year, 2009, guys, was uh, one of the, the best defenses. Well, we were the number one defense in the country. And it was, I played a small part. I mean, there's a guy named Dominic and Sue. He was pretty good. Uh, and, uh, but you know, I, Kev, I had to take all these double teams, right? Everybody had to put two guys on me. So that, that's what made Sue's job easy. Uh, but anywho, my, uh, so I had a great experience as a student athlete in Nebraska and, uh, but midway through my junior year, I suffered, uh, my fourth concussion in a little over a year and uh, decided to step away from the game. And that's kind of the, the student athlete story. Most of them have one of those twists and turns, right? Where you, you think you're moving on to the next level and then something happens and you're done in an instant and uh, you got to focus on what's next. And at that time, you know, I was the president of student athlete advisory uh, committee on, at, on campus. And I graduated in two and a half years, with my marketing degree and started on my MBA right away. So I was more than just a, a student athlete, you know, really took the other things seriously. And less than a year after being done with football, started a, a marketing agency, a social media agency in Lincoln, Nebraska, with a teammate, uh, Audie Kanalik. And we started helping businesses use social media to reach their customers and generate revenue. And, uh, you know, in 2010, not many folks really knew how to use social digital tools to, to generate revenue or to understand their value. And so we, we built a niche there and, and grew to 25 employees and and sold that thing in, in 2014 so we could focus on Open Doors. And Open Doors is like many companies that are, are they're started to solve a problem, right? And uh, something that was um, very important to us because in 2011, one of my, my best friends, Prince Amukamara, he got drafted to the New York Giants in the first round of the NFL draft. And he gave me a call and said, hey, can you help me understand, you know, this whole social media thing? I, like, what am I worth? How much money should I be making on these endorsement deals? Like, how do I get my followers up so I can make more money? And so we started to work with athletes in 2011 and quickly realized that athletes on social media have a tremendous amount of value. I mean, what they say is going to drive a 10 to 20 times higher engagement rate than the team they play for and the league they play in. And so there's this, this whole new era of athlete-driven media and, and social and digital, and it's starting to emerge, you know, back 2011, 2012. And so that was an opportunity. But what we realized, guys, is that most athletes aren't natural marketers, right? Uh, Prince, while he was a great personality and was good behind a podium, uh, he didn't know what to post, right? And, and needed some help saying the right thing at the right place, right time. And so uh, we built Open Doors, this simple tool where we could, deliver and suggest a photo or a video or a gift that he could publish to Twitter and Facebook or Instagram. And all he had to do is review the content. He could adjust it to fit his voice and hit a green button and the message go out. 
And that solution was, was really built to ensure that you know, Prince's career could last uh, a decade. It could last a day. And if he doesn't take that time in, in which he has all these eyeballs on him and leverage social digital to build an audience that lasts a lifetime, like he could miss out on an asset um, that comes with being a pro athlete or coming, comes with being an athlete at any level. So we started with Prince. And once we gave this thing to him, less than a month after we started, we got a phone call from the NFLPA. Uh, and they said, hey, could you come out to D.C.? We want to have a conversation about how your, your technology works. So flew out to D.C., sat down, and they said, hey, we've got 2,000 NFL players that social media is becoming the main way that our sponsors and licensees want to you know, build endorsement deals, interact with them. We don't know what they're worth. We don't know how to help them increase their value. And then once these deals are in place, like, we need to make sure that they're actually fulfilling them. Like They're saying the right things, right place, right time. We've got contracts and payments in one place. And so they asked if we could help. I said, would love to. And so we, we partnered with NFLPA and it's kind of off to the races from there. Uh, I know that's the long story, but uh, going from, you know, the student athlete experience into helping now 10,000 plus athletes around the world, ensure that they are levering, leveraging uh, the social digital platforms to look good make money and, and maximize their value while they're in front of uh, the fans that love them. That's no, a great backstory. It's really interesting to see you know, how these kind of ideas start and obviously opportunities pop up and you're willing to, to, to grab them and run with it. Always interested in, in folks who start businesses, especially like a young age, right? So you got this up and running right out of school or a few years after out of school. What do you think of the big things that allowed you to to do that, you know, as a young guy, set out on your own, create a business, develop that business? Was it things you brought from being a student athlete? Was it, uh, you know, other things you could point to that uh, allowed you to do that? I would say that this is not unique to me. It's unique to young entrepreneurs, as you said. It's uh, what do you have to lose, right? When we started our first company, Adi and I we were 20 years old, right? And we had a scholarship check that could get me, got 700 bucks a month. And I felt like I was richer than I could ever be, you know, uh, living in a, a, a janky rundown house in Lincoln, Nebraska, like every college kid, but saying, Hey, I can start something now. Cause I got nothing to lose. And I think that's something that, you know, any young entrepreneur can understand that. Uh, but as this name, image, and likeness world starts to evolve, you start to think about student athletes, um, are going to be in a position where they can take a risk. I mean, what, what, is, what is it to fail uh, if you attempt something and succeed? And, and what is success? And again, for Audi and I, when we started our first company, guys, we're 20 years old, and we're like, if this company paid us $100 a month, that would be incredible, right? And, and like now, looking back to think that the, our lowest package to get started was $100 a month and we were doing so much work, but you, you have no relative understanding of what, what is money, what should you be getting. And so anything in addition to that little scholarship check was, was gravy. Um, and so I think that was a, a key component, just that, uh, thinking back on it, I haven't really thought about that in a while, um, but that matters. And then the student athlete experience grooms you for uh, business and life in so many different ways, right? In terms of teamwork and competition, discipline, and 
getting your getting your butt kicked, but getting back up. You know, I, I love I love working with fellow student athletes. That you know, those that have played at the at any level, uh, high school sports or college sports, right? And because they they don't shy away from competition, right? You're not going to make every shot. Um, and there's four quarters in a game. If you're down in the first half, like there's a way to get back. And, and that analogy resonates with, with so many and resonates with life. And so student athletes uh, get an education beyond their education. And that's an understanding how to compete in the workforce and be a part of a team. How many, how many employees does Open Doors have now? So we've got 36 employees at Open Doors. Okay. Uh, yep. Split between New York and Lincoln or all Lincoln? Uh, there are two of us in New York. We've got four in a, uh, an office in Denver and then 30 in our headquarters in Lincoln, Nebraska. So taking that, that mindset, um, I love what you said, right? What do you have to lose? And that's easy to say when you're 20, Yeah. but now you're a decade into running businesses mm-hmm. and you've got 36 people under your care. You've got clients and customers and investors and all these things. Do you still, do you still, not, not to be foolish, right? Like, but do you still live and lead with that mindset of what, what do we have to lose? And if so, what does that look like today as you're running open doors to still kind of have, like, yes, there, there's, you need to be wise, but can you still kind of, kind of lead, lead boldly? There's a balance of um, leading boldly, boldly and, and then protecting the nest, right? Um, you you got to go out and hunt and, and attempt to, find new territory but you you also got to make sure you got something to come home to right and fortunately my business partner and co-founder Audie Kanalik is this incredible balance to me as an individual uh you guys probably see me out in the industry on the road doing the thing you know and Audie is uh, in the office leading leading the team on a daily basis. So it's very much, I mean, he doesn't like it when I use these terms, but I, I say I get to be in that, that dreamer category and now he's in that doer category. And that balance has been really uh, significant to us over the last 10 years. So he pushes me to continue to look outward and innovate. And uh, I help uh, give him assurances in, in the ways that he's leading the team to ensure like where we need to go, he's keeping things intact, building us towards that future. So it's a really solid balance between the two of us. Obviously, the big news uh, this week, and uh, we'll jump right into it, I guess, was the announcement that the NCAA made around name, image, likeness. Um, obviously, this comes right into your wheelhouse, but I guess, what were your thoughts on, on where we are now, and, and how do you think uh, this is going to move forward? Yeah, significant uh, step for the NCA right, to announce this week what's happening with the, the future of name, image, and likeness rights and this timeline that now becomes very clear when things are going to be in place. And the framework is still to be developed, but you know, I, I've been fortunate to work in some capacity alongside those that were you know, part of these recommendations and decisions moving forward. And there's a significant amount of, of research and behind-the-scenes conversations that the NCAA and the working group has had to really understand what they're getting into. Um, and from our perspective at Open Doors, you know, this, while in college sports, the last decade has been really focused on using technology to understand, increase multimedia rights value and 
increase recruiting potential. Right? I mean, those are the two you know, main things that uh, athletic directors are investing in over the last decade in terms of technology, and we play in that space. But over the last decade in pro sports, ever since I got that phone call from the NFLPA, it's been about understanding and building technology for name, image, and likeness rights and revenue potential for pro athletes. And so now what we've seen over the last decade, I believe is going to dominate the next decade in college sports is how do you provide solutions for athletic directors and athletic departments so they can understand what NIL rights are, the value of each individual athlete, educate them on how to grow and ultimately give them the tools to monetize in a compliant manner. And so the framework that was proposed, you know, hints at some of the solutions yet to be seen in the college space, but there are solutions that are very similar in the pro space and open doors being one that is um, in a prime position to kind of make that leap or help athletic departments make the leap into the other side, which is monetizing NIL rights, not, not just marketing uh, through student athletes. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating time. And to think, you know, I started Fieldhouse 10 years ago, which is when you were finishing at Nebraska, right? Right. Uh, and it was just, Facebook was still the player. Twitter was kind of becoming a big deal, right? Like it was, it was especially in the sports and kind of celebrity space, but it certainly wasn't even close to what Twitter is today. Instagram didn't exist. Snapchat didn't exist. TikTok, like all these, most of these platforms weren't, weren't around. Right. It was Facebook right. and Twitter and, and everyone was afraid of it, right? Like when I yeah. started Fieldhouse, it was coaches were banning their players from it, like all the negativity around it. And 10 years in, which is a long time, but a decade in, it's, it's completely flipped now to, we don't want to ban them from it because the first conversations I was having, well, hey, will you come in and talk to our players and scare them off of yeah, Twitter? Them, I'm like, right. no, like I, I would tell them yes. Cause that would get me on campus. Right. Like, but that wasn't the message I was going to give I'm like whatever gets me to campus. Sure. But that's not what I'm going to tell your student athletes. But now it's gone from, don't just scare them from it. Um, don't just help them use it well, but Hey, now let's actually help them build a profitable brand. Right. Uh, and so it's such a fascinating shift and in, in just, just a, a few, again, 10 years is a long time, but it's also not a long time to going from not just educating them, but that now you have open doors. We're going to, we're going to help you get their content to them to like intentionally look good and give things that sponsors would want and build that brand on purpose um, and show their personalities, show, show their life, show their skills. So, so just a, a really fascinating time. Um, then the question that people always ask is, how much are student athletes really worth? And, and there's no answer to that, right? But because you could be, uh, you could be Trevor Lawrence, you could be uh, who could be just as valuable or maybe less valuable than a, a, a women's gymnastics student athlete, right. right? It's like success in the football field doesn't mean you're a successful brand as a, as a person, right? In terms of sponsorship dollars. Yeah, um, right. I've, been to, I've been in D3 schools. Now, when Vine was a thing, I, I met a kid at D3 school probably six, seven years ago. He had 280,000 followers on Vine. He's a D3 basketball player that nobody knows, right? Like he's not gonna be on Sports Center, but he's he's a significant player in, in the branding world, social media world, right? And so, how how do we help student athletes navigate that that space of what am I worth? Yeah, and I, you know what's interesting about that, Kevin, and your your background again over the last decade is been progressing the the leaderships teams within athletic departments to understand like what the student athletes role is in uh, 
branding the university and, and helping attract the next generation of recruits to the university, I mean, there is a significant value in, in the channels in which they use and Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. I mean, those are the ways that people are introduced to these schools and you've helped people kind of progress towards that. And what's interesting about this is, you know, our perspective of working in pro sports and helping an athlete manage their endorsement deals with uh, from with Pepsi and EA Sports and Coca-Cola and Tide and Gillette and Old Spice, like that's what Open Doors does on that side. And now that's been shielded from our college partners for for years, right? Um, but when we got into the college space, we knew how the game was played at the pro level. And so we started to provide tools to these schools and, and advice and insights. It's like, hey, you can just, I'll use an analogy, right? You can build a weight room and just tell kids, hey, go in, get stronger. And I don't care what sport you're playing. Just go in there and lift some weights. Have a good time. You know, we got a weight room here. And then everyone started to buy a weight room. But nobody was given advice on like what, not saying nobody, but it's not just about the weight room. You got to know what, what game you're playing, Right. And on Wednesday this week, when the name of Julianus Rights became a real thing, there's a game to play. And in nine months, there's a tip-off. And there's going to be schools that are just having kids free willy-nilly in the weight room, not knowing anything. And there's going to be other schools that are going to say, all right, who has played this game before? Right? Who's going to help us understand what our student athletes going to look like on day one? to attract sponsors, to generate revenue, to monetize their NIL. And that's the, the position I feel like you can be in. There's going to be our, our team, we're, we're positioning ourselves to help athletic directors and departments understand how to get there. Um, because now there's a game to be played and there's rules to that game. So all the initiatives about athlete marketing and, and content management and distribution that have occurred within college sports over the last five years, and I'm proud to be a, a you know, a factor in that, um, have been for the glitz and glam, you know, having a big, pretty weight room and shiny toys, um, to now we got a game to play. Like, this is where work happens. And that's a mental shift, right? And you got to have a, a, an understanding of how do pro athletes today model rights. You know, what tools, what tricks, what solutions do they use on a daily basis? And how do you mimic and bring similar values to your student athletes so that they're prepared for that game again once it tips off? So I, I didn't answer your question directly, but just in general, I need to say things like that, right? Because there's a whole another side of this that's about to be unleashed and uh, we're ready to help. And I know there's, there's other thought leaders in the space. Again, you guys... Um, being two that I trust and would walk into a campus and say, Hey, here's, here's what you need to know. Here's what is going to matter over the next decade. Cause it's an entirely different game. Yeah. I read something you, you wrote recently that you put out on, on the open door site about, you know, the answer now for athletic structures and coaches is not, we're going to help you with your NIL. Uh, you need to have much more of a concrete plan and you need to be selling that. That's comes into recruiting and it comes into, you know, all different elements. Um, and I guess that goes a little bit to the, in, the initiative you've got going 
at Nebraska, um, which is an interesting one uh, to me, uh, the Writing Now program. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of what the idea is behind that? Um, and that obviously was built with uh, with this kind of change coming in mind. Um, but but how does that how does that factor into what what schools can do to get get ready for this? Yeah. So uh, there is the, the Nebraska Ready Now program. Happy to dive into the details of that. But if you think about the situation on campuses across the country right now, and for the next nine months, 10 months, and again, the next 10 years, our student athletes are going to go to their administrators and say, how can you help me make money? I mean, it, I'm sorry, it's the most direct way to say it. Uh, and recruits are going to ask while on campus, how much money can I make here? And how do you help me make money? Because I just came from another uh, campus visit and they said I can make X. Can I make X here? And unfortunately, like that is going to be a conversation. The Ready Now program at Nebraska and just the Ready program that we're bringing to college athletic departments is to have an answer that is going to provide you credibility in conversations with recruits where you're saying, hey, your experience here is going to be the same experience that the professional athletes have in your sport, right? I mean, we're partners with the NFLPA, MLBPA, uh, WNBPA, U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, NHL, PGA Tour. Like, there's not a sport in, in the pro level that we're not already doing these things for. So it gives the, the department a little credibility that you're getting some guidance from those that are helping the pros, right? And then you have the student athletes that they're the ones that actually have to get the help today. You know, and so they need something that is real, that is, uh, that is, uh, you know, ensuring that schools are going to fulfill this promise. So it's kind of like if you were a student athlete on campus and you saw this big announcement of how you have this uh, new uh, life skills center and it's going to be, it's really pretty. And you, and then you walk into life skills center and it's, it's dusty and nobody's there and adding a value, you know, that it's just a ploy for recruiting and not a real value added student athlete. Like it's a real quick way to turn your biggest advocates, which are student athletes. So schools can't just say, we're going to do NIL stuff in a recruiting pitch deck. They need to be doing it for student athletes today. And then the final part is, uh, you know, the, again, the game to be played, sponsors, the dollars that are going to flow into student-athletes, um, there may be a splash of, of funds and dollars that come through as in the novelty, but eventually they need to, student-athletes need to look the part and actually provide value. Um, and so if you know what sponsors look for when they're monetizing NL right to the pro level, you can say, here's where we need to get to by the time they turn on the lights. Um, and so this ready program at Nebraska is about assessing where every student athlete on campus is, where their, their NIL rights value is today, cleaning up their, their brand and their persona uh, so that in nine months, they look the way they need to look to attract sponsors and, and NIL rights revenue. Uh, and then from the assessment, then you give them an education experience where you're saying, here's what the pros do. Here's what NIL is. Um, and then there's an ongoing kind of evaluation component. So it's a blueprint that's based on what we do in the pro space uh, that takes an athletic department from, I need a solution for NIL to, I have one to the solutions producing results. I, you know, I hadn't, hadn't thought of it this way. It is what it is, but the, the quote you said, you know, how, how are you going to help me make money? 
and that's that is just the that that is the question. And I, I think that I can hear as you like when you ask that I can hear coaches and ads like pushing back, right? Calling that selfish, calling that ego, calling that whatever. Yeah. And so I think there's a, a reframing from their end, like no, that's not because we would. It, I think we have to look at, at these kids, uh, at these student athletes as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Right? If you're if you're 19 years old starting a business, we're celebrating that. Right. right. You're figuring out how to start a social media agency at age 20. You're figuring out if you're a high school kid with a lawn mowing business, we're celebrating that as an entrepreneur. You're figuring out a way to get paid. And and so I think we have to reframe our perspective of student athletes as that way. Same thing if they're going to go get a summer job or whatever. How much how much am I going to get paid? And so that's not a selfish thing. That's not an ego thing. Uh, that's that's they're uh, they're being intentional and thinking about their future as well as their present, knowing like you said they may be on campus two years and get hurt and be done. Well, mm-hmm. and, and, we, and we know that for most of these student athletes in the old world, these four years are their, their best opportunity to be a public brand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if, you're, if you're, even for a starter, right? You can be a starter on a team, you graduate, uh, and, and this is going to sound really harsh, I'm, I'm overdoing it, but people don't really care about you after that, right? Like, no, yeah, it happens. Fans may, fans may remember your name, but it's like you're not in the public eye anymore. And so you right. kind of go out of that, out of that spotlight. Uh, but if we do this right, with the social media piece, it's actually, you know, let, let's say you got a kid with 60,000 followers and they've figured out how to use social media, not just as a, as a college kid, but as, as a brand intentionally to add value to, you know, whether it's Pepsi or a local restaurant. Well, when that kid graduates, fans still know that they were a, let's say Nebraska football player. They've still got 60, 70,000 followers and they're still using social media on purpose. So they can still drive value for brands long after they leave it may not be the same uh, you know same amount of value the same publicity but they can still drive drive value to to a brand long after they leave school with a new framework in place yeah and that's something that uh, most folks might be surprised that we have a alumni network if you will that we're you know, partners with learfield img and they tap in and these guys that didn't make it to the pro level that are still in the local market and a hundred percent of their audience is tied to that, that market, like the investment in local sponsorship deals for the recently graduated alumni that may have gotten to become a captain, but never became a pro. They can make you know, 300, 400, $500 per social media post, and they can do it 10, 20 times a year. Right. And that's what we're seeing on our side. So uh, you are, helping student athletes maximize their value and whatever they do with that value when they're done, whether they go pro and it means endorsement deals, whether they're uh, staying in the local market, getting job opportunities, whatnot. I mean, guys, my, my personal story is uh, on 11 years ago, yesterday, I started a Twitter account. And by the time, you know, I had six months before my career was over and I got to, you know, almost a thousand followers of local media members in Nebraska and whatnot. Our first customer for our marketing agency came through a direct message on Twitter, okay? So would not have had a customer if I didn't have a social media presence. I was a co-host of a television show in Nebraska for eight years, and it came through a direct message from Kevin Kugler on Twitter, and he followed me while I was on the team and stayed following me until after I was done and asked if I wanted to come you know, on this show. And so I became a, again, a television host. I started a company and it's because I invested in building a small audience. So it's not just about the dollars now. It's about the audience that you build while you're on campus that follow you for the rest of your life. And the student athletes right now, their first job opportunity most likely is going to come from somebody that has seen them 
in their sport, on a field, on a court. Um, and that opportunity is going to most likely start through a conversation on a social digital platform. I mean, that's the truth. So how schools prepare and empower student athletes for social media isn't just about making money today. It's about setting them up for, for life. And Kev, one of the things you said that I, I really want to share as a framework to think about is if you think about, you said student athletes, entrepreneurs, right? If you think of the student athlete as a startup, like the day they show up on campus is the day they launched, right? And some people come in with a lot of uh, clout, some come in with zero, but it, a, a startup has to be groomed, has to be provided resources to understand like how to grow and, and what functions that, that need to exist. You've got marketing, you've got operations, you've got sales, right? You've if you think of the student athlete themselves as a startup, um, you need to provide the guardrails. That was a, a common talking point about this NIL right stuff, but give guardrails on you know, what does success look like in, in building um, your own business, but also not having to recreate the wheel, right? Kev, there's a lot of things that when you've built your business and I've built mine, um, you're, you're thankful that there's frameworks like or technology like thank goodness quickbook exists right that's fantastic right these hr softwares out there like the things that you don't have to solve a problem because there's so many more problems to solve and i think that if you look at this next decade of college sports and the mental shift is that every student athlete is a startup we're trying to get them to maximize their value while they're on campus um investing resources in them but also providing them these tools that are going to be table stakes and and how to understand their their value maximize their value monetize their value disclose what they need to do like turbo tax this dang thing make sure guys are 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 doing things right it's 10 months of a, a monumental shift in thinking for college athletic department leaders in their role in developing student athletes for uh, an entirely different uh, part of life, which wasn't even allowed until, well, still not, but soon to be allowed. Uh, it's going to be interesting how fast schools shift into that mindset. You touched on something, and uh, we'll, we'll switch it up from the NIL discussion a little bit, but Kevin and I both kind of talked about it together that, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of respect for the way you built your brand, both of the company and of yourself on social media. Um, you know, I think what I see is somebody who's trying to bring value to the conversation, to interact in a genuine way, not just a self-promotion, uh, not just a, a sales type aspect. I mean, is that, I'm assuming it is, but is that a cognizant effort on your part? And how do you feel like you've you mentioned, you know, you kind of your first client came from social media. So it's obviously impacted your career arc and, and your success beyond just the, you know, the obvious of, uh, of how it's impacted open doors. Yeah. But um, you know, how, have you gone about building your own personal brand? Yeah, I would, I would say that social media for most people should be a reflection of who they are, right? Some people can look at it as a, a mirror, uh, like not, not it's the opposite of, of who they are and they use it in certain ways. Um, but I, I like to think that the way I approach social media is to provide value. Um, it is a social medium, right? And therefore, it's not just about what you put out. It's, it's what you, um, how you interact with others and maybe share some behind the scenes information that, that can add value or give some people some things to think about. Um, so I, one, I appreciate you guys saying that. And two, it's, it's, I believe that 
if my role in the world of, of sports or in business is to walk into a room and provide guidance on how to use social media to build real value, to build an, an authentic audience, um, to drive engagement, uh, then I should be doing those things myself, right? Uh, it's not about fake it till you make it. it you can't plug and play. You've got to really invest the time. Uh, and again, because social media is the center point of so many of the conversations we have with our professional sports partners, pro athletes, pro uh, sports teams, college athletic department leaders, what I say and do on social is has to be a reflection of what I'm recommending to others to do as well, right? And so for that reason, I've tried to give more than I take on social, uh, maybe share more than I should sometimes, but ultimately, if somebody's able to learn or, or take some inspiration or uh, grow from something I share or a, an engagement I have online, then I, I think that's what I exist to do. No, I love that. But that's part of the thing, even, you know, that we you talk about with athletes is it's not a self-serving game, right? It's like if you're just talking about yourself all the time or talking about your company all the time or your brand all the time, nobody really wants to buy from you because it's, it's obvious that you're just about you. And so I think, you know, you, you have to preach what you practice. Right. And so you, that's what yeah. you practice, right? It's like you, you practice adding value and informing people and educating people. And, um, and that, that there's credibility with that. when you go to athletes, it's like, you've got to be who you are. It's not just about, yes, it's about making money. Yes. It's about running business, but there's a way to do that, right. Where you're consistently adding value, um, not trying to just maximize your, your own value. So when, when you were at Nebraska, let's take it back to the beginning. What, what role was, you know, I know you started the social media agency while, while you were still there. What role did social media play? What, what, was, what was the social media landscape on, on that football team? Right Again, this was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. It was just Facebook, a little bit of Twitter. But this is when things were kind of starting to become a big deal, right? So what was, what was the social media culture like on that team? Yeah, I would say that thinking back to even 2007, you're in the computer lab at, at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska, right after practice, you're still sweating. And you're pulling up huskersillustrated.com to see um, if Sitzman photo posted a photo of you on their photo gallery from practice that day. So you could push it out on Facebook, right? Or you could update your profile picture before you went and played uh, Jetman, that, that jetpack game that was addicting as hell for uh, my entire study hall experience as a freshman. But the, uh, the other part is that, you know, Twitter was definitely in its infancy. So you weren't really going to Twitter as much or using it more like a diary, but the forums on these, uh, you know, rivals and scout and those types of websites were kind of this pseudo social media at the time too. So, you know, people did want to understand what others were saying about them just simply as a fly on the wall. Um, but also you, you wanted to, you know, start to engage and interact. I think that became this, this gap that social media has um, filled for the, the student athlete experience is that you're able to control some of that narrative that you could maybe go into a forum and see things um, get so far removed from the truth because the public's perception of a student athlete at that time may have been through a couple of Facebook posts, but mostly was, you know, what they saw when you got put behind the podium after, you know, once a week after practice. And, um, you know, there's 150 guys on the football team in Nebraska not everyone gets podium time. And so who are these guys? Right. And, uh, but I think back to then, like there was still these like 
these sparks of of what social media is today, which is you know craving access to to content. Like the goal of having the the sick photo on your your Facebook profile picture in 2007 was to to maybe have a conversation with a girl in class, right? That saw that you played football, you know, or that you played sports. And that still is part of the game today, right? It's about using this as a, in its social uh, form. Uh, but there's other parts of it that I think are, um, have all evolved from that, that truth that this is a channel that you have control over and that you can leverage and not wait for someone else to tell your story but you can dive in and start to share who you are, what you believe, what you care about in one place um, and build an audience around that. So again, everything kind of stems from social media in those infant days to where it is now with so many different ways to do it, but it comes back to human connection and, and trying to take control of the narrative. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, no, we're coming up on time. So I think probably have time for one more question, but uh, I'm kind of curious, what would you tell uh, leaders in the college textbooks, coaches or admins, you mentioned that nine-month runway. We talked about some of the things that are going to be needed to do, but what are the outstanding questions in your mind that you'd say, you know, you're a leader in the space, you're going to need to track this, you know, in the run-up to it and then the implementation of uh, the NIL situation? Yeah, so I, to college sports leaders today that are questioning how they're going to prepare for this name, image, and likeness-driven future of college sports, it would be to understand how the game is played because name image likeness rights monetization is not new. It is new to college sports, right? And that means there's a century of information and proof points of how NIL rights are monetized at the pro sports level. Dive in I'll talk to folks that have seen it and help manage it at the next level. Um, and then the last decade of, of NIL rights monetization in the social and digital realm, there's, there's folks in that space too. So just understand what's out there and how you can you know, tap into to experts or folks that have been in the space to get a, a leg up or have a, a better answer to conversations that will happen the moment that a recruits in, in, uh, on campus. I would say more simply in, in 10 months, there's, there's a test that every student athlete is going to take, right? And is, is, are you marketable? Uh, and if so, here is money. And if you know what questions are going to be on that test, you can provide student athletes guidance on how to pass, right? But if you were going to wait until the day of the test and say, good luck, you're going to watch student athletes fail and you're going to watch student athletes on campuses that you compete with succeed. Right. So this is as important um, to the student athlete experience as a weight room, as life skills, as your academic advisors, as your strength uh, and conditioning program, your training table, right. NIL solutions on campus over the next decade will be the dominating conversation for every recruit, every student athlete, every parent. And if you're not ready, your rivals are. And that's the motivator I think every athletic department leader should have in the back of their mind is um, being prepared and competing. And that's what makes college sports so great is innovation and evolution comes from competition. 
And I know for damn sure that there is a school in every major conference right now that is doing the most. Just got to find out what they're doing and, and see how you can beat them to the punch. I love that. And it's, there's so much fear around it, right? It has been over the last decade or, or more, mostly because people don't understand it. Right? That's why there was so much fear around social media 10, 11 years ago, because we just didn't understand it. And all you see and hear the negative, the more informed you, you become, the more aware of it. And you realize like, there, yes, there will be challenges, like, of course, but there's also a significant opportunity. There are significant benefits. It can be a massive win. And so your point, have, have the conversation with people who understand the space, have the conversation with people who have been doing it, prepare yourself, equip yourself. Because uh, when, that, when that light switch gets flipped on, you're either like ready Right, it's like the same thing we've been talking about about teams in the middle of this season. Right? Like some teams right now in this in this COVID nineteen environment, they're still getting better. Right, they're yeah. they're maybe maybe it's baby steps, right? But they're still making small steps forward. They're figuring out how to stay connected and, and build their culture and grow. And um, some teams are just kind of throwing their hands up and saying, "It's a it's a global pandemic. What do you what do you expect from me?" Right. Right. And so so those who are ready, when that light switch gets flipped on, we go back to normal, whatever that will be in society. Some teams some teams and companies are launching into that new season because they're ready. Others will be scrambling. Oh gosh, right. we should have we should have been ready for this moment, you know. And same thing with this. It's like some will be ready and they will capitalize off of it, and the rest will be playing will be playing catch up, wishing, like wishing they would have been been planning, wishing they would have had something in place. Yeah. Because now now they're gonna be behind the eight ball. So I think it'll be a fascinating discussion, uh, fascinating season just around NIL over the next year, over the next three to five years, um, and, and I'm excited to see how the role Open Doors continues to play in this space and it's we are right now fielding a lot of inbound uh, requests from athletic departments to get nil related data for mm -hmm. recruiting right and it's like it's happening this week there's some that have been doing it for a lot longer yep. but um you know a power five school it's saying hey can you show us from the day that this student athlete showed up on campus to, they're like a pro now uh, to now where they're at in the pros how their social you know, media channels grew and how their NIL value grew with it and how much money they make. And, you know, what's interesting about that is that that kind of is an example of how it was just fun and games before, but now it matters. It's, it's critical, right? Like, and we have partners guys that look at it and say, my job is to take them from uh, a to, to B in terms of their growth and other ones were like, I just got to drag and drop so that they, they stop bugging me to get photos, right? And, and that's a very different mentality, right? It's the whole weight room. Uh, I, I just peek through the blinds, make sure guys are lifting weights, or I'm out there with them sweating, you know, because I know that this is the way you win. And there are some that have been uh and leaning in and, and investing in this stuff for a long time and they care about those individual stories and their growth and others that are trying to now share that they've been doing it all along you know and and maybe they have right but it's just interesting to see that that's where the conversations are going um of how can i use data to prove that our school provides value in student athlete brand building you know um this is gonna be a whole another niche pops up around that stuff too i think it'll be interesting to see and i saw someone i think it was chris foreman at purdue yesterday or day before tweeting out like i wonder what's going to change with like how this impacts the sid role mm -hmm. um, one because it's been you know 
changing drastically over the past decade anyway. Uh, just by, just because the way people now consume information, consume content, consume media, uh, that's drastically changed the, the role of the SID already. I wonder, and this may not be the SID thing, but you know we have uh, obviously you have a strength coach. I mean that's just that's necessary. Um, and and you've seen even like, to your point of you've seen that you can have a weight room or you can have a million dollar strength coach. Yeah, right. Like you can, you can have like shiny facilities or you can have a guy that's going to help you understand how to use those. Which is why like for me the strength coach is such a like not just obviously for strength for a culture piece like they are such a critical component to student athletes and but the same thing with this side it's like are we going to have schools not that there's gonna be a million dollar brand builder on campus right but like is, are they going to have somebody full-time on on staff maybe somebody's right that your job is is to help student athletes maximize their nil value and it's not just social media education. It's not just getting them content. Those are just parts of the puzzle, right? Like to have someone who's consistently with them that they have a relationship with. It's like, hey, let's talk about this. Let's you, you know, you've got your academic tutors. You've got all these different roles where we're serving student athletes, which are all good and necessary and healthy. I wonder who's going to be the first, and maybe it already exists. And I just don't know about it, but who will be the first to have someone on campus full time that that is their job? It's not part of their job, right? Because some SIDs do some of that, right? Some do, right? But who's going to actually be the person? We're going to make this a department, right? Yep. And Kevin, that is, that's a prediction I would be glad to say over the next decade, there will be staff members dedicated to NIL, not on the compliance side, but in the growth side, right? Um, and I know that your role when you step on campus is almost as that, that strength and conditioning uh expert that's going to come in and, and talk about here's what to do here's how to win it's it's i'm sure that there's times when you are shaking hands with an athletic director walking off campus and like kev man i wish you could be here every day right and the truth is like that's maybe the reality of the next decade is they will seek to find folks that are there every day to um help manage this uh, whole nil rights opportunity so it's you're doing a lot of different things with the open doors brand, right? It's you're, you're, like I said, you're, you're helping student athletes in schools capitalize, but you're also just informing and educating and making sure people understand what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. And so it's a fun, a fun thing to watch. I appreciate the way that you, you approach business, the way you approach your role as a leader in the space. Uh, and, and I know open doors will be a player for, for years to come. So excited to watch and appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thank you guys. And I could say the same for you too. It's going to be a, a fun decade building and, and helping solve problems together and um, seeing how the two of you continue to evolve. But thankful to be a part of this conversation and the part of this industry and happy to hop on anytime. All right. So that was Blake Lawrence of Open Doors. Uh, again, I thought that was just a really fun conversation. And, and you know, one of my takeaways from from what he had said, Mark, there was a lot of takeaways, but one that really stuck out was, and, and he and I, I think have a little bit of a similar personality. And I think you find that fairly often in entrepreneurs of what do you have to lose, right? So when you started a business early on, like, what do you have to lose? And, and that we all have that fear of losing everything, right? But, but college kids are like, what, what do we have to lose if we start this business? If it fails, great. You know, that's okay. Um, and how he's kind of carried that into now leading, leading an organization who, They've got employees, those employees have families. And so all these decisions that you make now impact more than just you and your business partner, they impact dozens of people. And so you, but you can still lead with that, hey, what do we have to lose? 
while having some wisdom and some safeguards in place. Uh, but that that boldness still leads to innovation, still leads to creativity, um, still leads to growth. So I, I, I love that that perspective from him. Um, what what about the interview stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, that was that was really neat to, to hear. And obviously, yeah, he's had to change that. I think he talked a little bit about going from having nothing to lose to having, you know, a lot of people who are dependent on you and how that kind of changes your mindset for it. But, you know, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me from the NIL standpoint and that whole uh, aspect, uh, we talked about it a little bit after we got off too, is that this, this idea of name and image likeness and monetization of it is not new. It's just new in the college space. Um, so, you know, I think his, his advice to people of saying, you know, one, get familiar with what's done other places. You know, we can, sometimes college can get into a little bit of a bubble and think about it. And there's so many, you know, we've gone back and forth how many times this week, kind of talking about the little outstanding questions, the things that need to be sorted out and the devils in the details and all that kind of thing. But, you know, at, at, its, at its most basic, you know, there's a lot of other places we can look for inspiration, maybe not the right word, but, you know, we can learn tactics and we can learn, you know, trouble spots and we can learn about how to do it really well. And, and like you said, I think this is going to be a, a big part of the college sports landscape for the next, at least a decade, maybe forever. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And like I said, they, they, this isn't new to them. They've been prepared for it. Um, their offerings have been different in the college space just because the college space operates uh, on, a, on a different framework. And, and now they can bring what they've done for the pros into the college space that they've got it all set up. Uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, and, and you brought this up with him and the way he uses social media and, and the way he sees his role in the industry, right? He's not just a CEO. Um, he, he kind of owns that, that uh, role of being an educator and serving the industry. And, and it's, I will say it's, it's difficult for entrepreneurs, right? You, the CEO, you always, you often hear the CEO is the face of the brand. Um, and that's, there's, there's truth and fairness to that, but, but too many, and this isn't just a sports thing. This is just a, a life thing um, where too many owners, too many CEOs, too many founders, whatever the role um, they want to make it all about them. And everything they do is all about the brand. It's all about, and it looks like an ego play. Um, it's, and it's all feels transactional. Everything is about getting, getting the sale. Everything's about getting, closing the deal. Uh, and then you have some who, they just like to serve. They like to be a voice of, of education, a voice of reason, a voice of information. Um, and they may rarely talk about their business, right? You know what they do, but so much of what they're doing is just about serving people in the industry, which actually makes you want to work <laughs> for those people. If you don't know what they do, you, you're often like wondering, hey, what do they do? I, I might want to work with that person or, or follow them or get more information. And so that's kind of been Blake's perspective. And if you scroll through his Twitter account, like, of course he mentions Open Doors now and then, right? Like it's, it's his company, it's his baby. Um, but he's doing a lot of just educating the industry. And, and so he's out there just serving. And so I think there's that, that shows that, that humility that owners and CEOs should have. And, and as I've interacted with employees from Open Doors that I've met, you know, at conventions or on the road at different events, you see that in the organization, right? It's like there's, they're, they're confident what they do and what they bring to the table. But as an organization, they model the humility that, that, that Blake brings to the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a, it's a longer walk to, to establish that, you know, it wasn't like he hired a, a fancy videographer and a, you know, a professional photographer to follow him around and get some, get some things that look really polished. And that's the brand building. This came from, you know, the sweat equity of the last 10 years of being, being honest, that's how, you know, I think that's how I've met him. That's how you probably met him. And you know, he's bringing value to that. You talked about kind of his role as a, as a CEO. And I think Another thing that wasn't outlined explicitly, but really came through 
very clearly was he understands who he is and what he is to the organization. I think in the first two or three minutes of the interview, he mentioned Adi Kunalik, which is his co-founder and the president of Open Doors. Must have mentioned three or four times. You know, understand that hey, this is my role. I'm like I'm the vision visionary. I'm the guy who goes out and loves to be in conventions and, and loves to talk about the product and, and engage and do those kind of things. But I need somebody, you know, home to home at the home office to keep the the wheels turning and keep the trains running on time. And, you know, I think that's that's probably another place that entrepreneurs can get caught up of understanding that sometimes what it takes to sell a vision or sell a business or or found a business or get you going isn't the same skill set as it takes to succeed and level up from, you know, anybody can start something up and anybody can throw a business logo on what they're doing. And it's a matter of, uh, it's a different skill set. It's a different thing entirely to build something that has 36 employees full-time, I think you mentioned, and, and agreements with big organizations, players, unions, and, and leagues and conferences. Um, and, and all the other stuff that's, you know, behind the scenes on this, you know, this is a, it's a social media company, but, you know, they're also dealing with monetization and, and behind the scenes things and taxes and all these kind of forms you don't think of when you think of them. So um, I thought I just, I just get a sense of really understanding, you know, what he brings to the table and then, you know, wanting to surround himself with the right kind of people to, to fully execute and just get a lot of team, right? You get a lot of teamwork. And you mentioned that what it takes from being a student athlete, but it just definitely feels very, very authentic, very real with him. Well, that just comes from self-awareness, right? And that w- which we talk about all the time about, about leaders. And that's kind of the root of great leadership is self-awareness, knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at and playing into your strengths. And he plays into his strengths, right? He's, he's the visionary. He's the future thinking guy. He, he's out on the road. Like he said, kind of, it looks like he's the one out making it happen, but that's, that's, that's one role, right? That's just one part of the, of the company. And, and, and like you said, starting something, having a vision for something is very different than executing on it and actually building it and the operational piece of it. And that's where the co-founder comes in and, and, and their president, like that's his strength, right? Making sure operationally, like we're, we're thriving. We have all the, all the pieces in place. Uh, and so like I said, both of them know their role. They know what they're good at. They're playing to each, playing to their strengths and celebrating each other along the way. Right. It's, it's not a, it's not a competing thing. It's no, this, this is my left hand and right hand. We need both in order to succeed and thrive. And, and every organization needs that. Most leaders fall into the trap of, uh, trying to be everything to everyone. And, it, and it's difficult. You know, as, as he said, it's one thing to be, be the CEO and visionary, but then you got to figure out payroll and you got to figure out HR and you got to figure out, and, and not everyone's good at those things. Um, so if you can have someone, an operational person who, Hey, here's the vision. I can make it happen. Right. Those two things complement each other and, and work together really well. And, and, and they've got a good balance with that. Um, which again, just goes back to self-awareness and, and being to celebrate those who, who bring a different value to the table than, than what you bring. So that was a fun conversation. The NIL piece, like I said, it's going to be a conversation for the next decade, if not longer. And, and so I think he had some really interesting insight into that world, what's, what's been going on, what's coming down the road and, and how schools and organizations have to uh, have to prepare for it. So they will definitely be an organization to watch, to listen to, to learn from uh, in, in the coming, coming months and year, years ahead. So thank you guys for listening. Episode 37 of the Sports Leadership Podcast. If you have questions, hit us up on Twitter at Mark underscore Hodgkin at Kevin DeShazo. We appreciate you guys listening. Hope you're doing well and we'll see you soon.